0: Thanks, everybody, for joining us online. If that's where you're worshiping, at all of our sites, glad we can be together if you're a guest. Terrific having you with us. I hadn't seen that video yet, but I think we just really needed to give up to Pastor Dave Traumman, who's not much younger than me, but that's incredible. Wow, he's inspired me. I'm not doing it soon, but there you go. Um, We're continuing our series called Up, we're in the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 through 134 over the course of the summer, still got a couple more to go here and boys have been meaningful to me. I got touched, I mean I got touched last week after Psalm 130 when a young girl um, taking notes in our worship service um, handed me a copy of her notes and she drew this beautiful image. A high view of the church with clouds and a bird and flowers and then the word hope and the word God. Children take notes with images, but also words. She had these words on top of it. Westwood makes me feel, F-I-L-L, happy and it's fun. Westwood is cheerful. Isn't that great? I just pray that you feel the cheer and the joy of the Lord. If you're a guest, that that will be a mark in your life. By the way, through the years um, since we started in 1995, I've had many children who draw the message and they come and give it to me, I have a drawer full of these. And sometime I'm going to bring a mosaic of all these beautiful drawings from kids, but We gotta move on to Psalm 131, it's a great psalm. It's a psalm by David, so in this group of psalms of ascent, the people going up to Jerusalem during the festival time, singing, praying these psalms, you find that there are four of these psalms written by David, this is the third of the four, and I've entitled it Cultivating Humility, because it's a psalm that speaks about contentment and humility. It's the kind of humility that was demonstrated in our country on um, August 15th, 1945, when the Japanese surrendered to the United States of America in what has been called one of the most um, noble, notable victories in all of human history. And in the United States that day, there was no chest beating. There was no erecting of triumphal arches. In fact, the day following that victory, Um, some of our common or well-known entertainers of the time, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, and others, put together a variety show, and it was broadcast to the troops. And it was uh, quite powerful. It's shown right now on PBS, so I got to watch it, and I was struck by one primary thing, the spirit of humility. Bing Crosby said this, what can you say at a time like this? I guess all anybody can do is thank God it's over. Today, though, our deep-down feeling is one of humility. I like this posture. In fact, the great war correspondent, um, Ernie Pyle, he said this. We did not win it, this war, because destiny created us better than all other people. I hope that in victory we are more grateful than proud. We are more grateful than pride. Could we return to that day? I think there's a need in our lives. I I think you find an intrinsic um, impulse that they moved into this beautiful place of saying, let's guard our heart against pride, of self-importance. Look at me, look at us, look what we did. Let's remind ourselves we are not better than other people's. And I just want to give an encouragement, an invitation. Could we take that same posture in these days as well? Could we guard ourselves against pride of self-glorification? Could we guard ourselves personally and collectively as a community and as a nation to not look at ourselves as being better than others? That's the invitation you have here. In fact, David's words in Psalm 131 are written during the time when he is being pursued and hunted by Saul, And so you think, wow, that's not a time where you would generally feel content when you've been hunted by someone. He had opportunity to take Saul out, but in a spirit of humility, he does not do that. He marks his life with this humility and this contentment. In fact, you find that this psalm is called one of the shortest psalms. It's the shortest one we've looked at so far. There's only three verses in it. It's one of the shortest psalms, but the longest psalm to learn. Short psalm, but we have to take it in, and it's beautiful and powerful. So I invite us to do that as we've done in the course of this series by inviting you to stand and join me and unite your voices together with me as we read Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. You may be seated. I read this psalm, and right away, I want to ask you a question about how you entered today. Have you entered calm and quiet, or are you disrupted? And discontent. I think I could speak for everybody to say we want to be calm. We want to experience contentment. If that's your desire, can I just see your hands both at home? And yeah, I think we want this. Boy, how easily we can become discontent and disrupted. Through difficult circumstances, you could find difficult people. Just the weariness of life can make us discontent, but in the midst of it all, God wants us to know this contentment that comes from deep within, that all is well, no matter what's happening around us. And there's turbulence all around us, but he wants us to know that all can be well. And so we find this picture in the psalm. I think there's a primary message he's wanting to communicate, if you want contentment, cultivate humility. I mean, if you really want contentment, cultivate humility. Practice it, keep moving forward. In fact, the outline of the psalm is really quite simple, straightforward. Practice humility, learn contentment, live in hope. So let's jump into that picture. Verses one, just play it all out for us. Take a look again at these verses. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. You can see that David addresses God. He communicates about humility, begins Um, with a focus on God, that he is the source of it. We find that priority at the beginning of the psalm. And we jump into the the outline that he has, and we find that David practices humility and shares it with us in just this first verse three different times, three different ways that he practices humility. I wanna call each of these out. First, you'll find it in the first phrase, my heart is not proud. How do you practice humility? Do not have a proud heart. A proud heart is a heart that is elevated. It's a, it's, a, it's a heart that is lifted up in a way that is about self-consumption. My heart is not proud. So the question is, where is your heart? In fact, the word proud means high. It means lofty. It means tall. Do not have a tall heart in view of how you see yourself. Do not have a lofty heart sense of self is the call that he's given to us. And throughout scripture, you find that there are all kinds of reminders of this, including Paul's words that says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. In other words, don't think of yourself like this cat who sees herself as a lion. Now, I I took a cat thinking that was safer than putting one of you looking into a mirror. Because we all tend to look in the mirror and think of ourselves more highly than we ought and we're called to guard our hearts from that given posture. That pride indicates that you're somehow on a perch, elevated, high, and lofty. And in so doing, high perch, big fall. High perch, the scripture tells us, get ready, big fall. And all of us have had that. In fact, you begin to practice humility as you learn humility, usually early in your childhood or your junior high years, you'll have some kind of event. Have you not had some kind of event where uh, the reality of how you saw yourself being a little higher than you ought was kicked down a notch because of somebody or something that you did and it was called out? I had that at 14, I'll use my own illustration, I'm not proud of it, but this is how we learn and you have your own. I encourage you at lunch, that would be a fun lunch conversation. (laughs) Talk about a time you just Just felt more of yourself than you should and somebody put you in your proper place. And be reminded, do not be proud in your heart. For me, I was 14. I was cast in the part of Little Abner in the school musical. I didn't want the part. I really felt forced by friends, by the music teacher, by the director, and I finally did it. And what you know, I get, I'm an introvert. I got the part of Little Abner, the key role. And I didn't want to be on the stage. I didn't want to be in front of people. You know what's dangerous about this thing called pride in your heart is you start to like being in front of people. And you get affirmation. And people applaud in a show when you do it like that. I've never experienced anything like that. Naturally, when you're 14, you're trying to get a sense of self. So self began to rise a little more than it should and the director got a hold of me because he told me that the next performance I would not be the lead role for that evening's performance. The understudy would be the lead role. And I thought, what? (laughs) Started feeling a little better about myself than I should have and I began to express my attitude to a few people. Somehow it got to the director who sat me down, looked me in the eyes straight up, set me straight concerning my attitude and really what I remember, I've never forgotten it because I was embarrassed, I was humiliated by my attitude, I was knocked down to a place of um, understanding, it was inappropriate what I had done and essentially he said on the upside, celebrate others. People who are better than you and people who are not, celebrate them, whoever they might be, And in this case, the understudy was really quite honestly better than me on most fronts. One, I was six foot four, 156 pounds. Hardly a little Abner kind of look because he was 6'3 and a big stud. This guy was a football player. He fit the part far better than me. He was better than me. I was called to celebrate him. He is my best friend in high school, by the way. We're still good friends today, and I'm grateful for that. But we, we get called in this place of being humbled, and that's a good thing for us to find ourselves in that given place. And so you have this picture, this reminder that pride is the very obstacle between me and God and that relationship. Pride is the very thing that took place in Satan that would cause his fall. Um, And then we know that it was pride that would cause Adam and Eve to listen to Satan in the garden before that fall took place. And Proverbs 18 just reminds us again, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, filled with pride, but humility comes before honor. If you sit on a high perch, a day is coming where there is a fall, and we're reminded a haughty heart will bring a big fall, but humility comes with honor, comes with honor, honor to the Lord, honor to others. It changes the whole way we express ourselves in the presence of other people and God himself. How do you practice humility? Well, you practice humility, first of all, do not be proud in your heart. We go back to the psalm, though, we see the second. My heart is not proud, do not be proud in your heart, but notice the second phrase. My eyes are not haughty. Do not be proud in your eyes. So pride flows from the heart through the eyes. And it starts us on a journey. And that's what you find pictured here. That haughty eyes are eyes that are raised high. They're elevated. They're lofty again. So we start to see what we want to see. And we miss other folks along the way. Um, Do not be proud about your eyes because your eyes will affect your attitude toward other people. Some one of the things I love about Jesus is that he's incarnated, he comes into the presence of people and he looks us into the eyes, not above us, not looking for others that I want to associate with versus those I don't want to associate with. And so you find that there are good eyes up in the scriptures, all kinds of places, like Psalm 121, which we studied a few weeks ago. I lift my eyes to the hill, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's a good eyes up expression. But the call here from David is an eyes up that has dangerous tendencies, two of them specifically. And that is eyes up, elevated, I raise my eyes so that I look down at other people. And usually when our eyes look down on other people, we have words that we begin saying or speaking about that person that puts them in their place. And why do we do it? In order to elevate ourselves, our views, why we're right. It's hard to be right and not hurt people, by the way. That's what happens when we elevate our eyes. There's a dangerous zone. And why does that happen? Well, one, to elevate ourselves, and usually because there's an undercurrent of insecurity. Do you agree with this? That everybody has an undercurrent of insecurity of some measure in your life. Anybody agree with that? I think we do. And the more insecure we are, the greater need we have to elevate ourselves to make others feel smaller so we can feel better about ourselves, but we don't really feel better about ourselves. There's another dangerous eyes up, and that's the eyes up that causes us to compare ourselves to others. What a nasty habit this is. When we compare and see what other people have, and we want what they have. Who they are, what they do, what they have, we begin to want. It begins to breed within us an envy And sometimes the simplest ways. You know, I, I remember some years ago when uh, we had a big snowfall in Minnesota, no surprise, and I'm out shoveling snow. And I take notice that as I'm shoveling snow, my neighbors are coming out up the hill and down the hill with snow blowers. I mean, I got pretty, I was not happy about it. Why can't I have a snowblower? You start to compare along the way, and eventually I would get one some years down the road. And what a gift a snowblower is for one who's done this. But you start to get in this place, I've got to compete with everybody. I have to have what everybody has. That's the shadow side of it. And we start to occupy our lives with the need to have what everybody has. To be Somebody we're not called to be. God has blessed us to be such um, beauty in his sight, the children of the living God, and he invites us into that beautiful place. I I think there's this reality of comparison that we know. It starts to drive us in our heart, what our eyes see in dangerous kinds of ways. So I've said so many times through the years, comparison kills. Kills joy, doesn't it? It kills your delight in other people, as you compare yourself to others, what you have or don't have. I like what John Maxwell says about this. He says, when you are full of pride on the inside, it makes you stiff, stubborn, and creates a strife with others. Because you have this sense that you have to be right all the time. And who wants to be around people who are right all the time? It drives us crazy to have that kind of spirit. So we're called to do not be proud in your eyes and have an attitude that looks at others less than yourself. To practice humility, do not be proud in your heart. Do not be proud in your eyes. But there's a third expression, all in verse one. Go back to the verse here. It says, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not howdy. I do not concern myself with great matters of things too wonderful for me. I want you to notice something here. This is the joy of sitting in the Word and just studying it, and things start to pop off. Do you notice that He calls us to not have a proud heart, not to have proud eyes, and third, not to have proud feet? And you're going, Joel, where are the feet? I don't see the feet. Well, in the study, this is why it's good to take time in the reading of scripture and go a little bit deeper. The English translation of this phrase, I do not, quote unquote, concern myself. Concern myself comes from the Hebrew word to walk. And it's, it's talking about, it can be interpreted as um, physical walking, but it's being referred to here and is often referred to and translated into English as the walk of your life, the conduct of your life, what you occupy yourself with. And so he's saying, I do not um, conduct my life, I do not occupy myself, I do not concern myself with the great matters. And there you find this incredible picture of what it means to David that he's renouncing this proud ambition to be so occupied with prestige and power and possessions that I get consumed with it and I leave God out of the journey altogether. He's saying I'm not occupied, I don't live my life running after these things or walking after these things and I don't need to understand everything that's going on around me. And usually when we're running after these things, we're trying to control everything and we're trying to understand everything that's happening when we can't understand everything that's happening. So I think a simpler translation is David is basically saying um, that I quit trying to be God. I quit trying to run my life without God's directive or voice leading my path. And when he did that, and he got rid of that ambition for prestige and power and possessions, there was a release, and he found that contentment that he so longed to have. And so the question is, where are your feet? Where are your feet? Because pride begins in the heart. It flows from the heart through your eyes and your feet. Follow. So, do I have a heart dependent in that arena or around the things of this world? So, I'm consumed with the troubles. I don't understand everything that's going on. And you try to control it because you have a need for control. Do we have any control people in the room? Raise your hands boldly. Last hour they were like this. If you have control issues ever in your life, maybe once, raise your hands. Most of us deal with control issues. We want to be in control of people and everything, and we're called to let go of it. Carrie and I were in a home um, several years ago but I I kept this because I thought it was really clever and they had a sign on their house that said, I will be handling all of your problems today. I will not need your help, so relax and have a great day. (laughs) I love that picture. Don't be consumed with all the problems. Always trying to figure out why this is happening to me. I don't understand, you don't have to understand all of it. In fact, Deuteronomy reinforces it. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. It seems relatively straightforward, doesn't it? The secret things belong to the Lord. He has a realm of knowledge in his infiniteness that we don't have in our finiteness. And he has that prerogative. After all, he is God. And yet there are things revealed he has given us enough. He has revealed himself in such a way that our children can know God and depend on him so that they will follow his words and his way. All we need, he's already revealed to us, and yet we keep clamoring for more rather than receiving with open hands all that he intends for us, knowing that he is present and provides for us in our point of every need. And so we don't need to know or understand it all. And by the way, we don't need to inform everybody of that which we have opinion or conviction of. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems like everyone's got an opinion about something, about everything, and we want to share it, and we share it through social media. Whether we know it or not, whether we have facts or not, we just love spreading it around. We love to ignore our ignorance, generally speaking, (laughs) and we just spread it out, and it's just created so much strife for us, and what we need, we already have, Let's live in the peace and the contentment of what he's revealed to us believing that he knows about the things we can't see and he's orchestrating in a way that brings about some good. I love what Dallas Willard says about practicing humility. I wanna put these three things up here. First of all, he says, practicing humility means never pretending. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. Just celebrate who God made you to be. And secondly, never presume. That to presume or assumption is the lowest form of knowledge. Don't presume like you know all the answers when you don't know all the answers. Have a spirit of humility. And the third is never push. That is, never push for your way and your will um, when it may not be God's way and God's will. If God pushes you, then you can go in that given direction. I love the simplicity of that. It's been a helpful compass for me through the years. Dallas Willard one of my mentors. How do you practice humility? Do not be proud in your heart. Do not be proud in your eyes and do not be proud toward God. That is, do not be proud toward God in terms of your need to understand everything and to occupy your feet moving in a direction with things that are of him and less of you. The second part of the psalm, we're told to learn contentment. And so if you want contentment, cultivate humility, and you find a word picture that is found in the second verse that brings an intimacy to the reality of what it means to learn contentment in life. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I love this, that he's, you see the intentionality. He's had to learn this. He has to be intentional. I I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. David says, I am like a weaned child. I'm no longer crying for Milk from my mother's breast to satisfy me. I've been weaned and I'm learning to be present with my mother without needing what I used to need. And this is an analogy that he's using in terms of our relationship with God. We start out needing certain things, but then we mature, we grow up, and we realize he satisfies us with nutrition in different ways. I no longer need the milk of my infancy, now I get apple. Apple crisp or whatever you get to have. Pumpkin pie with Ben, if you say. But it's, it's moving into this realm of growing up. And I want to say this, that weaning is a child's first experience of loss. You think about when a child is weaned and they're learning for the first time, I don't get to have what I want to have when I want it. And I'm learning to be, te- have to learn to be dependent on something new. And usually there's a crying that happens, an agitation. In fact, I really wanted Carrie to, to come and speak about this. We have four children. I got to witness, I got to observe the weaning process with four children. And it was different for each child. And I really wanted her to come and speak. And so Carrie, why don't you come and do this piece of it? Because you have far greater credibility than I do. And she just said, No. So I'm the best that you got is what you got. So it's my observation, which is different than her experience, but it's the best I can do. But there is agitation and crying. And David is saying the same thing. I used to cry and be agitated because I wanted it this way and it's not this way. I didn't get my way. And then he learned to calm himself and quiet himself in the presence of the Lord. And that's what a child does as well. David is saying, I'm no longer running after prestige or possessions or power even though he has the right to move in that given direction it's not what he's consumed with i'm no longer just distraught because i'm comparing myself to others and who they are and what they have and look where i am i'm in such a lowly pace and he's saying i'm no longer just trying to live my life without god i'm not trying to be god you know you're a wonderful person you're just not god you don't you're not a good god just own that let god be god just be who God made you to be. Seek first his righteousness, his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. This is the, uh, the emphasis that you find throughout the scriptures, and all the people of God. Probably none more pronounced than the Apostle Paul who reminds us in Philippians, for I have learned, there it is again, contentment is learned. This does not come natural to us. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul had it all. And he lost it all. He had lived in prosperity and he lived in poverty and everything in between. He was a Pharisee and he was the most proud of all, as you know. And he orchestrated the deaths of Christ followers until his conversion experience. And he came to understand that in the disparity of having it all or having nothing, I have learned to be content in all things. And he gives this phrase, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That was my mom's theme verse in life. I can do all things through him. He was in prison when he wrote this. His life was not a cakewalk. It was tough, he'd been beaten, he'd been, I found contentment. No, we have this beautiful picture. I want contentment, but to have contentment means cultivating humility, depending on God for all things and the strength of Jesus Christ who is with us in it. So do you wanna increase your hunger for the Lord? Then I encourage you to wean yourself from the world's diet. And that's not an easy thing to do. You gotta be really intentional and say, I don't need to go there to have this satisfy my need. I'm gonna need to go to God. So you know, when you shut off the TV, um, there, there can be a withdrawal, you know? Try to shut off the TV for 48 hours, see how it goes. You feel a withdrawal, shut off the radio, shut off activities that you've consumed yourself with, sometimes to the end that you don't have to be still and know that he is God. A couple things that I have done in my life and we go through these different seasons, I'm in a place, I, I get this, I know the priority, I know it's needed in my life and my journey so I can be centered and not caught up and all of the noise that can just suck life out of you so quickly if you're not careful. I've gotta be still in the presence of the Lord. I do that by abstaining from technology on Fridays. That's a good thing to wean yourself off. Find a day of the week. For me it's not Sunday, I work on Sundays. Friday's my Sabbath day. And you know what it is, a gift to have technology not in your face, to not have an email you have to open or a text message you need to respond to or a phone call that comes to you. You don't have to pick up for a whole day, 24 hours. I look forward to Thursday nights. Fridays have become a day of peace. And it's a practice of my soul. I invite you to do the same. In the last year, I've joined three other brothers, and we're practicing seven minutes of silence in the morning. Just seven minutes. You'd think it'd be 70 hours. It's really hard for people to be still for seven minutes. Try it tomorrow morning. Before you begin your day, before you do anything, just try to take seven minutes and still your heart in the presence of the Lord. It's growing to be a new practice for me that will grow through time. I'm enjoying what happens in silence. It stills the voices of the agendas of everyone that might be around, Um, the turbulence of the world in which we live. There's a clarity of thought I know I will get through this day. Silence gives us this kind of strength. And it's the invitation for all of us to find those practices that work in your life. And so we have a call to practice humility, to learn contentment. The psalm ends this way, live in hope. And it is a hope that comes from the Lord, not your circumstances. And this is how he states it in verse three. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. This is the same way it ended in Psalm 130. Put your hope in the Lord. That is, I have come to learn this secret of contentment and we all want contentment which is cultivated through humility and once you experience it, you want everybody to calm themselves, to quiet themselves, to discover that contentment so that both now that your needs in this present moment, he sees, he's aware of, he'll meet your needs and forevermore, your future needs that you are uncertain about, you can't see but he can see, he's got eyes to see what you cannot see, he will meet them as well. And this is what he does, and he levels the playing field and moves us in a new direction. If I could choose one word for humility, it would be this, responsiveness. Humility is a responsiveness to God that helps me how to respond to myself, increasing self-awareness that allows me to then move into relationships with others in whole and holy ways. Because pride begins in the heart and it flows through the eyes, and the feet follow. Humility flows from the heart and goes through the eyes, and your feet follow. That's Larry's story. Larry, um, I met many years ago now, but he moved into this terrain of calm in a disrupted personal world. Larry um, was looking for a pastor or a priest to help him at a time of need, and he had visited all of the churches here in the Chanhassen area, couldn't find a pastor or priest who was present, and he walked in the door. I could tell this guy was distraught. I had never met him, didn't know who he was, and I said, can we be of help to you? And he says, I'm looking for a pastor, and I turned. (laughs) He said, I'm trying to get somewhere. And there's no other pastor around at this given moment. He's been to all these churches. And I go, okay, I've got about 20 minutes. Could we sit down and talk? And Larry opened up his world. He was completely broken. He had uh, lost his job, lost his home through foreclosure, had just gone through a divorce. He was completely devastated, weeping uncontrollably. And he was looking for a pastor or a priest because he didn't want to live any longer and he was contemplating suicide, and said that I I just, I don't want to live, I just want to know, and I wanted a pastor and priest tell me that I'm gonna be okay on the other side. That's what he needed to know. And I listened, I said very little, I just listened. This is why I encourage you friends, memorize scripture, because what do you say in a situation like that? I need God's voice, not my voice. My voice is inadequate, but the presence of God is more than sufficient. And so I said, Larry, there's a verse that many people of God memorize. It's First Corinthians, um, I'm sorry, First Peter five, six, and seven. But most just memorize the seventh verse. And the seventh verse says, "Cast all your cares and anxieties on me, because I care for you." Now, isn't that a good verse to give to somebody in a time of need? And it's beautiful. But I said, Larry, the verse that precedes it is more important than this verse. It says humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and with his mighty right hand he will lift you up in due time. Cast all your cares and anxieties on him because he cares for you. But I said, Larry, the verse that precedes that is even more important. God opposes the proud. It doesn't mean he's actively looking to strike down you with lightning. So get away with that image that you may have. It's just saying when you're filled with pride, you don't need God. You're living your life on your own. And I said, Larry, this is you. You have chosen to live your life on your own, so you're feeling completely at a loss. You feel like there's nothing worth living for. But I said, there is hope and a promise. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and with his mighty right hand, he will lift you up in due time. Cast all your cares and anxieties on him, because he cares for you. There, he cares for you. But your only capacity to know that he cares for you is to come into his presence with a humility, and say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. And then you will sense his mighty right hand lift you up. And then you will set your concerns and anxieties in his hand. And then you will know a hope that will help you in your life journey. We had good conversation. I invited him to church at Westwood the next week. He had not been in church since he was a kid. I said, come to church with us. We have people who will be there. They'll greet you. He walks in the front door. He's greeted um, by one of the hospitality folks who could tell that he was dealing with a lot. They have a nice little exchange. He says, let's sit down, the greeter here at Westwood, and he sits down for an hour They have a conversation, and the greeter leads him to faith in Jesus Christ in that hour, and he comes to worship. And I'm able to stay in touch with him this day. He's now married. He's had returned to good things in his life. And he knows in the midst of having it all or nothing that there is a contentment that comes, that we can have contentment when we cultivate humility. And some of you need that today. So I'd like to pray for God's presence and provision be yours. Would you stand and let's close in prayer. Father, I think of the prayer that we Shared earlier, the prayer that you taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. And it's not our Father who is our boss. It's not our Father who is standing there to judge us with a lightning rod. It is our Father who art in heaven, our Abba, our Daddy. And here you welcome us in times of plenty and in times of want, in times of prosperity and in times of poverty. Maybe we just sit with you in that space, our Father who art in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. And immediately, there's a calm that comes because we know we're in good hands. Our Father who art in heaven, there are people gathered here online and are given sites who have a need for you at a very high level. They're broken on this day. And so I pray that you break forth from the heavens as you have done again and again through Jesus Christ to remind us that you have eyes to hear us and ears to hear us and a mighty right hand to calm us as we humble ourselves in your presence. May we learn contentment. You see it all and we can come to you and we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.